Well, my name's Charlie. I'm just a regular guy. Um, for some reason, Matt asked me to speak, and um, I'm very appreciative. I don't know who's... It looks like there's not that many people here. Who told someone that I was speaking today? <laughs> Is it that I'm speaking or Matt's gone? I hope it's because Matt's gone. But anyway, um, you know, did you guys have a great Christmas? I, I love Christmas time. I think Christmas time is probably the most wonderful time of, of my life. Uh, to, uh, you know, to worship, you know, our Lord. You know, I, sometimes I think we lose the focus of really what, Jesus, what Christmas is about. Sometimes I think we do. And, you know, we make it, you know, primarily about family and gifts and giving. That's wonderful things. But really, I think, and then we kind of throw in, yeah, and Jesus was born. You know, and that's how come we do this because of this nice little story on Christmas. So we do this. And I think that, you know, we really when we really focus in on Christmas and really what it's about is I, I love that scripture in, in um, Luke 2.11. It says, for unto you born this day in the city of David is a savior. That's what he is. He isn't just a friend. He isn't just a confidant, but he was born a savior. That's what he was born to be. And when you really understand that, when we begin to grasp that, of really who Jesus is and what he's done, and his great love for us, and believe me, he's greatly in love with us. Matter of fact, I would like to say that he's crazy about us. And when we really begin to grasp that, we begin to see that, and we begin to hold on to that, man, Christmas takes on a whole new meaning. But, you know, it's more than just a Christmas. I think that uh, something that, you know, I want to say that, you know, Merry Christmas and also a Happy New Year. I think... You know, that it's wonderful to have a Merry Christmas, but, you know, for us to go into a happy new year, to go into a year where, man, we're serving Jesus, we're excited about Jesus, we understand, you know, how much he cares about us, man, we're pumped, right? And so when we begin to see that and we begin to really acknowledge that, man, God says, hey, I want you to have a happy new year. That's what I want you to have. What we're going to talk about today is a tale of two kings. Both of them, both of these kings here are kings that had huge blunders in their life, big failures, deep regrets. But, you know, um, but how they dealt with it and how they moved on. And that's that's the key thing. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love and for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your word that brings us life and your your word, Lord, that shows us your great love and your great care and your great grace, Lord, there. I ask you that as I speak, Lord, that you would open up our understanding. And, Lord, that we not just hear with our ears, but, Lord, that we would, Lord, receive with our hearts this great word that you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. The old man sat across from uh, the younger guy, and they were having lunch together. He had known that Younger guy had been speaking on Friday nights at his church probably three or four years, or three or four months. And uh, he began to hear stories and he began to listen to him speak. And in those times when he spoke, he spoke of a time where uh, this guy had been walking with the Lord and close to the Lord. God had been doing great things in his life and wonderful things. But there was a time of a blunder. There was a time of a mistake to where... He turned his back on the Lord and began to go out into the world. And he began to make a lot of mistakes. And there was a lot of regrets and there was a lot of failures. But through it all, you know, that man looked at me and he said, 
Charlie, what happened? What happened? How did you get there? It seemed like that, you know, from what I heard, it seemed like that God had been so moving so, so wonderfully in your life. God was so, you know, he was so good and, and, and you know, he was using you in ways you couldn't believe. And, and you were just so in love with him and you were so enamored with him. What happened? What happened to get there? What happened? It seems like that you have such a deep appreciation for him now, for his love and his grace. But what happened in that, in that time moment? And I stopped and I looked at him and I said, Ten years ago I would have told you it was an affair, that my wife, because she had an affair, my ex-wife, that she had an affair. I would have said, that was the problem. That's why I went into the world, because of the hurt and everything. That's why I went back. That's why I, you know, all these blunders happened. That's how come. But I looked at him and I said, I don't believe that anymore. The reason I believe that I went back into the world, I told him, the reason I turned my back on God and I went in there is because when I look back, things begin to take the place in our lives. Things like, like our house and, and uh, maybe my job, my business and and uh, um, other things, we begin to compromise our life with other people and going places and situations. Oh, I love Jesus still. I mean, I'd still go to church and I would still do all those things. I said, but I loved him maybe number three or four instead of number one. And because of that, because I begin to allow other things to creep in and because I begin to allow other situa- situations and, and, and because I begin to look and try to f- find my, my uh, uh, happiness and my strength in these things out there, all of a sudden I begin to compromise and all of a sudden things begin to happen like affairs and two people, a man and a woman, walking away from the Lord and both of them going into the world and a divorce and hurt kids and devastated friends and wondering people in a church what happened. All of us. I'm not the only only one with this story. But this is what happens. This is what it's all about. But yet through it all, through it all, it's not just a story that's so terrible and, and there is, yes, a trail of tears and yes, there is deep regrets. But through it all, I can say, I told that older man, I have a deeper appreciation for the grace and the love of God in my life than I've never known before. How he pursued me and how he went after me. And how he said, Charlie, I want you back. And this is what we're going to talk about in Matthew 16 about sin and regrets. See, God wants us to have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Matthew 6, Mark 16, I'm sorry. Mark 16, verse 26. We're going to talk about a guy by the name of Herod. And listen, but when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, was raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. Let me ask you something. John. John was a, I mean, uh, John was a voice that was crying in the wilderness, repent. 
man, you need to repent for what you're doing. Man, you need to repent because, man, not because of just, just because it's bad, but because, man, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Man, God has good things for you. God has wonderful things for you. I want you to repent because, man, uh, you know, there's a, there's a Jesus is coming and he's got, man, great visions and great hope and great grace for you. But John, but this man by the name of Herod, that he had done something, that he had beheaded the guy, this voice, this voice that was saying, repent, don't go here, don't do that. So what do we do? What do we do? What do you and I do with voices that we say, hey, it seems like these things never die. It seems like these things come back to haunt me. That's what Herod was dealing with. Man, is this guy ever going to die? Is this thing that I did ever going to go away? It seems like that, man, he's coming back to haunt me. Everybody's got a story. Even as I got a story, Herod's got his story. And if there's anything that God wants to deal with in our life is, is sin. He's a savior. Remember we talked about he's a savior. And if there's anything that he wants to save us from, is sin. He wants to save us from sin because sin does bad things to us. He's not mad at us. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you this, he's mad about you. But sin will cause deep hurt and deep regrets and deep problems. And this is where we're going to look at the story of Herod. And it says, For Herod himself had given orders to John and arrested him and bound him and put him in prison. And he did this because of Herodias, the brother Philip's wife, whom he had married, for John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It's not lawful for you to do this. It's not lawful for you to do that. God speaks to us. He's a voice speaking to us. And sometimes, man, in our lives that we begin to wander and we begin to stray and things begin in the world or things or him or her or that begin to really look good to us. And the voice says, it's not lawful. It's not right that you do this. The voice begins to speak to us. And all of a sudden, man, we're going, man, it's not right. Why now? Let me say this. Is that sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Did you hear me? Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. It does bad things. It causes huge issues. Just like in my life, just like probably in many of your lives. And it can cause deep regrets. It can cause deep problems. Things that sometimes we just wish, man, I wish they would go away. Man, we look at the world and the, the Lord is constantly speaking to these people, men like Herod and God. And he's saying, look, at, don't go here. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's not lawful. It's not right. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a holy and just man. This is, this, is, this is exactly what sin wants to do. God says, don't do that. You know why? Because that thing within your life wants to bring death. It wants to kill. It wants to destroy. God says, don't do it. Put her away. Put that away. Put this away. Whatever it is in our lives, God says, don't go there. Why? Because this thing here that I'm telling you to put away, it wants to bring death. It wants to bring pain. It wants to bring all these negative things within our lives. But then it says, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him and knowing he was a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. 
There's something about that when John, when it says that when he couldn't, he could, he, it says that John, I mean, that Herod feared John and he would put him in, in prison. And then he would bring him out on a convenient day when it was right for him. Man, I know this voice is right. Man, I know what he's saying is right, but this is what I want to do. He wanted to hang on to his sin. And he wanted to hang on to that thing which he knew was right. Also, you can't do it. God cannot have both things within our lives. You can't hang on to sin, the thing that wants to kill, and then say, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this thing in prison, and, and when it's convenient for me, man, when it's good for me, I'm going to listen to him. Just like we have things in our lives that we say, God says, don't go there, don't do that. And we think, but man, listen, I go to church. It's right that I go to church. I know the word's right, but I want to hold on to this thing. I want to hang on to him. I want to hang on to her. That's what, I, that's what I need. And God says, it ain't going to happen. So it says, because what happens, it says, is in, in, uh, and when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, like he, and he liked to listen to him. And finally, the opportunity came on his birthday that Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. And when the, when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and her guests. And he says, look it, I'll give you anything you want. I'll give you anything you want. I love what the King James says. It says, and when an opportunity came, when an opportunity comes for sin, we're trying to hang on to it and we're trying to to serve God at the same time. And God says, look at you, got to give it up. It's not lawful. It's going to do you damage. And when an opportunity comes within our life, and there's always opportunities, opportunities that says all of a sudden we're, we're in this situation with this person maybe at the office. And we go, but man, he's, she's so nice. She talks to me so well. You know, he's, she's, you know, my wife don't talk to me the way she talks to me. And after all, you know, it's just friendly. And we just go to lunch every now and then. And God's saying, don't do it. Or maybe it's him, you know, him. You know, my husband, he don't really, you know, talk to me and tell me I'm pretty like he does or... You know, or, you know, whatever it is. Or it could be young people, it could be, you know, him. You know, I, I know I shouldn't be sleeping with him. I know I shouldn't be going there. But I love him. It's got to be okay because I love him. And God is saying all the time, don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to bring death. It's going to bring death to your marriage. It's going to bring death to your kids. It's going to bring more than death in situations. You know, uh, you find that uh, when when you look and you see that, you know, that even when God says, don't go here, don't do this with, you know, young people sleeping together and stuff, man, it's more than just God saying, hey, it's wrong because it's forbidden. It's so bad that it's going to, it could bring venereal diseases. It can bring, um, it can bring unwanted pregnancies, man. There's a loss of intimacy. God is saying, look at, What you're doing is unlawful. Don't do it. It's going to cause problems. It's going to cause pain. It's going to cause situations. I care so much about you. I don't want these things to happen to you. And so we hang on to them and we say, but God, don't you see? You know, I had a daughter that I have and and, um, she ended up living with a guy for a long time. And she came to me and she said, "Um, Dad, so what do you think of Derek? I met him and um, 
man, he was, a, you know, he was a nice guy. He really was a nice guy. And I said, I think he's a nice guy. And she goes, well, she, she says, Dad, so it's, you like him then, huh? Like everything's okay. And I go, well, yeah, I like him. I go, but what are you asking me? What are you really asking me? You know how I feel about you living with him. It's not because I think you're a bad person. I know what bad things this thing will do to you. And she says, Dad, but, you know, you might as well just get used to it because we're always going to be living together. You you know, we're going to be doing this thing. And I said, listen, honey. I said, I'm against that thing because of what that thing will do to you. I am so for you. I am for you. But I am against this thing here that will bring damage to you. The thing that you're doing is unlawful and it's unlawful because it'll bring pain. It'll bring sorrow in the long run. And it'll bring hurt. But I am so for you. She ended up breaking up with the guy. I mean, I mean not breaking, uh, breaking off living with him. And she ended up marrying the guy. And that's what God's saying. I'm for you, but I'm against this. What this thing can do, what this thing can do in your life, you think, but man, I'm just going to hang on to God because I know He's right. I know that voice is right. It's just holy and pure. And I got it over here, and I'm going to hang on to this. And God says, listen, it's going to bring death. That thing that you have that is, wants to kill you, it wants to destroy you, it wants to bring pain to you. And when the opportunity came, it says that the king's daughter went and danced before him. And when he danced before him, he ended up saying, hey, look at what do you want? I'll give you my kingdom. That's what the Lord wants, our kingdom, the kingdom of our heart. I'll give you anything you want. And she goes, I want the head of John the Baptist. And this is what it says. It says, and at once... It once the girl hurried to the king with the request, I want to give you the head of the John the Baptist. The king was greatly distressed because of his oath. I love what it says in the other one. He was exceedingly sorry. That's what sin does. That's how come God hates sin. That's how come God says, hey, I don't want you to go there. That's one king. But there's a tale of another king. In 2 Samuel 11, there's a, there's a tale of a king by the name of David. Another king that, man, this man took another man's wife. And David did what? Took another man's wife. Isn't it amazing when we think of David? We always think of him as, you know, in two parts. We think David and what? Goliath. And David and Bathsheba. It's amazing how we see that. But really, it's a lot like our lives. We have great victories. And sometimes we have things we wish we never would have done and gone to. So what are we going to do? So, you know, if I stop here and I go, wow, that's really an uplifting message, Charlie. Thanks a lot. Leave me here in the dark. I mean, you know, those things are going to kill me. And now I'm stuck. And, you know, and I'm going to be greatly distressed. And I'm going to end up just, you know, dying. By the way, um, Herod... And his wife ended up dying and being exiled and dying a very, you know, terrible death and living a very horrible life afterwards. And that's what it does. That's why sin always brings forth what? Death. The wages of sin is death. All these things. So what do we do? So we say, God, you know, just like, so God, what do I do? How do we, how do I keep from doing this? And what do I do? How do I get there? How did I get there? 
How do I keep from going there? The tale of another king. Oh, David did the same thing, but David's results are far better than what Herod's was. David, man, listen, how did he get there? It says in the springtime when the kings go to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. And David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around at the roof of the palace. And it says, from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent, sent someone to find out about her. The woman was in the springtime. Matter of fact, it says in the other translation, it says, and at the evening time, when David rose up from his bed, in the evening time. In in another translation, it says late in the day. In the evening time, and I looked at the the Hebrew in that, it says, man, when things begin to get dark. You want to know when things begin to get dark within your life? This isn't just something that just happened to David. This is something that really, if you look at ongoing within David's life, that he began to compromise things. And, and he began to not just, it wasn't just a thing of not going to war at this time. David should have been going to war. But man, it was a time when the evening time, when David got up, when my, probably David's darkest time of his life now was beginning to happen. And it says that, it says that when he went off to go to war, and that's when God says, hey, listen, There's things I want to battle against in your life. There's times in our life when every year they always went at the springtime. They always went to war. I guess it's because, you know, the roads were dried out and the chariots could make it, you know, or whatever it was. But it was like spring training for the mariners. They always went out to war at that time. And there's a time every year or two years or three months or four days within our life when God says, Hey, look, I want you to focus on this enemy of your life. I want you to see, look at, maybe this situation, maybe what you're doing here isn't really good for you. Or maybe what you're doing over there could cause problems. I want you to go to war against these things. And instead of going to war, it says that David man rose up because man, instead all the rest were out doing war and David set up on his housetop because it was easy, it was comfortable. Instead of going to war, we go, man, I just want to take it easy, I just... I just, you know, I just, I just don't need the battle right now. I think I'm just going to take it easy. And while he was up there taking it easy, it says, and this, it says, David got it from his bed and walked around, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. In other translations, this isn't the translation I'm really going to use, but it says, and David saw the woman that she was very beautiful. And he sent to inquire about her. David says she was very beautiful. And he sent someone to inquire about. He was beholding her beauty. And sent to inquire about her. In Psalms 27, 4. I don't know if it was before this or afterwards. David says, one thing I desire to the Lord. And that will I seek after. To behold the beauty of who? The Lord, and to what? Inquire in his temple. All of a sudden, the things of God begin to grow dim within David's life. And all of a sudden, the beauty of the things of this world, instead of the beauty of the Lord, begin to take over and begin to focus 
of his life. Let me ask you this. It's a good thing to look at. Do the things of this world, the beauty of this world, the things of this world, capture your heart more than the beauty and the things of God? Do they? Does a home, your house, vacations, this, that, pleasures, whatever it is, not that those things are bad things, but are those the things, the beauty of those things, are those the things that capture your heart? To where you say, hey, I know I'm supposed to be doing battle, but man, I'm looking at this beautiful thing here, and this is the thing that I'm really going to go after. Instead of looking at God and making God your primary focus. Have we looked and we've said, hey, look at I have found that these things in the world turn my crank more than the things of God. If so, we need to check and we need to say, God, that's what happened to me. God, I love you, but these things here, man, these are the things I'm pursuing. These are the things I'm inquiring after. These things seem so beautiful to me. They're so lovely. My wife and I went to a place in the Caribbean, oh, back, um, what was it, um, 10 years ago? And it was one of the, the Cayman Islands and stuff, man, and Cozumel. It was one of the most beautiful places there was in the earth. Uh, at that time and now and my wife was talking to me about it and we got back and man it was beautiful there it really was and I got to go with my wife and and you know the Cayman Islands what is it seven mile beach whatever it is and Matsalan and you know it was a really cool place beautiful places she said so what do you think you know what you think man I mean you got to go here and you got to see all these beautiful places man and look at what we did and I kind of said the wrong thing I go yeah it was all right And she stopped and looked at me and she goes, does anything excite you? Does anything turn your crank, you know? And I go, yeah. I go, there is. But really what I should have answered is those were beautiful places. And it was cool to see it. It really was. I'd never seen anything like that before. Man, I was out there in the Caribbean in one great big bathtub floating around. But I told her, I said, listen... When I was a young Christian, my pastor asked me, Charlie, do you just want to be a Christian? An everyday Christian just goes to church. He goes, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, just goes to church and, you know, and does their thing. And he says, or do you really want to get to know this God and who he is and spend time with him and know his love and his grace in a way that the average Christian usually doesn't, not that they can't and not that they don't have the ability and not that God doesn't want them to, but they just don't take the time to do. And I go, I'll take door number two. And he began to teach me the principles of fasting and praying and just spending time with God, just talking to God, just going for walks and, and just telling him how much I love him, how much I adore him and opening the word And man, I am not kidding you. It was like a whole new world opened up to me. And I began to see the beauty of God and who He is. And His wonderful grace and His wonderful love. It wasn't just words on a page that He loved me. I sensed and walked in His love and His grace in such a wonderful way. It revolutionized me. 
And I said, there's nothing greater than serving Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater than His love and His grace. And when I compare that to Grand Cayman, as beautiful as Grand Cayman is, and when I compare it to other things of this world, even the things that I thought was going to fulfill me, I'm going to tell you, nothing is more beautiful than the things of God and inquiring about Him, who He is and what He loves and what He cares about and experiencing those things in your life. That's why He says, don't do this. Don't go there. Because I've got another place for you. I want you to behold my beauty. I want you to inquire of who I am. I'll fulfill you in a greater way, in a more wonderful way. Sin takes such a toll on people. Listen, I'm not saying it happens to everyone, but I know for a fact that I've seen things happen in my own family with drugs and alcohol and premarital sex, the broken homes, the broken children. My son was 18 years old, 18 years old when I went through my divorce and I went out there and began to do the things I was doing. My father-in-law told me about one day he was sitting in the house with him in Nebraska. He was staying there while he was doing a job and she said he was looking around at the pictures. I was out in the world. So was my ex-wife. She had a boyfriend. I was out running. She said, he said he looked at the pictures one by one of all of us as a family that hadn't taken them down. 18 years old, a kid full of piercings, a kid all tatted up, but a kid hurt. And she said, as he sat and he looked at all the pictures, he went to the bathroom and he came back out. And Aaron, my son, wasn't in there anymore. He wasn't in the room. And he says, Aaron? And he asked his wife, have you seen Aaron? She goes, well, he was just here a minute ago. Here's a 75-year-old man, a tough, hard old man telling me this story. And he said he went out to the side of the gate and laying there on the ground like in a fetal position all curled up was my 18-year-old son crying. And he was saying, I just want my family back. I just want my family back. It's not just something we do, divorce and affairs and stuff. I'm not here to heap guilt on you. Listen, we're going to go into that how we can go past that and how God's great love can heal us. But I'm saying, this is what sin can do. Another friend of mine, his son, one time took ecstasy, went to a rave party. The next night, he's in his room talking to voices and he's still been doing it for years. Do you think we do these things thinking, boy, we're going to cause a lot of damage or we're going to cause a lot of pain to people? Do you think, no, we are so deceived into thinking, just like Herod, Herodias is going to fulfill me. Oh, I know this is right, but I need to hang on here. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. The answer is, look at, he, when he began to talk and he began to say, look at, I'm going to behold the beauty of Bathsheba instead of the Lord. And next thing you know, he's in a situation, man, where he ends up getting her pregnant. And the real question is, man, but that's David. How could David do that? Man, David slew Goliath. It's because the real, the real answer to that was when Uriah, listen to me, is what the, it wasn't the question of how could David do that. The real answer to that question is, is what David asked Uriah. 
David, when he knew Bathsheba was pregnant, came and said, look, we got to get Uriah here. He's got to go and sleep with his wife. I got to cover this thing up, man. So he went and he sent for Uriah. And when Uriah came, man, he didn't sleep with his wife. He didn't come and sleep with his wife. It says he slept with the servants. And David says, now what am I going to do? So he sent for Uriah and he says, David, didn't you just come from a big battle? Don't you realize that, man, you need to go down and eat and drink and man, and spend some time with your wife? And he turned to him and he said to him, David, listen to me. He said, Uriah, why didn't you sleep with her? David's thinking, I did. She's a beautiful woman. I did it. Look at how much pleasure in a beautiful woman like this. Why didn't you go and do this? And he said, David, listen to me. The ark. The very first words out of his mouth. The ark. What does that mean? It's the place where the presence of God was in a tangible way. It's a place where they saw God move and they could see his presence and his glory. The ark was more important to him than his wife. The ark was more important to him than his pleasures. The ark was. He was so enamored with the presence of God. And it's the ark in modern day, in today's uh, teaching would be, in the New Testament would be Jesus, the presence of God, Emmanuel. It'd be like saying, how come you don't do what you do anymore, Charlie? And I would say, the ark, Jesus, the presence of God in my life, his mercy, his grace, his love. It keeps me from doing those things. That's why I didn't do it, David. Do you remember the beauty of the Lord, David? Do you remember how you used to inquire? That's why you didn't do it before. And David went, knowing and he ended up giving Uriah his death sentence. So that's how we keep from it. Making God our focus. Making God, Jesus, the one. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. Everywhere Jesus went, man, there, people were healed, people were delivered, things were done. God's mercy, His grace was spread out, man. When you focus in on Him, man, all of a sudden, the things of this world, like the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look close and really close into His face, for the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And they do. But when we begin to stay home, and we begin to just say, oh, these things of the world are looking more beautiful to me than the things of God. Second Samuel 12, David. David ended up the same thing as Herod. Brought forth death. Sin always does. It always brings forth death. Sin takes you further than you want it to go. Costs you more than you'd ever believe. And keeps you there longer than you'd ever want to be. David never calculated that. We never do. 2 Samuel 12, and then David said to Nathan, after, da after Nathan had confronted David with the sin, he, began, he told him a parable about a lamb, and another guy took that one lone lamb, speaking of Uriah. And David, man, he was confronted with the sin by a prophet, just like Herod was confronted with his sin by a prophet by the name of John the Baptist. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. That's what we need to get to. God, I've just sinned against you. He told him before this, he says, look, there's going to be problems in your house. 
I have big problems from 10 years ago going into the world. Oh, God has forgiven me and God loves me. But there's things you live with. David had to live with. Herod lived with. Some things that never seem to die. Things that sometimes come back and haunt you. He's back. They're back. He said, David, the sword will never leave you. And you're always going to have problems. Because of this sin. He says, but listen to David. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. The Lord, and and listen to what he says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because of my doing this, you made the enemies of the Lord show their contempt. And listen to what he says. The son born to you will die. And Nathan had gone home. And the Lord struck that child. David's life was never the same. Not because of the sin. Oh, that's part of it. But because of that right there. What's that? The son. David, I want you to know that that child that was born because of your sin, that son, yeah, that child will die for your sin. You live, the son dies. We live, a greater son died. That's the gospel. It so impacted David. You mean the son that was born because of my sin will die for for my sin? Yep. Oh. Christmas. The son that was born for our sin. The Savior will die because of our sin. A greater son, Jesus. When this son, when he heard David, it says it so made an impact. It so struck his heart. He, he never ate. He fasted and prayed and laid on the ground for seven days because he realized that. This innocent son died so I can live. What kind of impact does Christmas make on your life? Do you really realize what happened? That that son that was born that day that we celebrated a few days ago died for your sin. What kind of impact does that make in your life? Do you really, really realize how sinful we are and how great God's love is? We don't die. That is so stinking cool to me. I never realized God's grace and His mercy, His grace that took my place. When we see who He is and what He's done and the impact of it, do we just say, well, that's a nice little thing. That's a nice little humanitarian thing He did for us. Isn't that wonderful? 
Or do we really say it's because of my sin, because of your sin, because of our sin, that this child that was born died. And because of that, I live. I think it made such an impact within David's life that David, from that day forward, man, when they said, David, man, you were supposed to die. Adultery is death. Murder is death, David. What happened? Oh, David, I'm sure, David, the reason that you're alive, David, is because, you know, remember, David, when you were out there with your father's sheep, and remember the lion and the bear that came? Remember how you stood up and defended them? I think that God so looked at that and said, man, David, you're a great man ever since you were a kid, man. You were just did some great things. Or David goes, no, that's not it. Well, David, it had to have been Goliath. David, remember when you stood up and you defended the people, man, and God used you, and you cut off the head of Goliath, and you stood there, man, with his head in your hand, and his eyes rolled back, and his tongue hanging out? You remember that, David? That must have been it. He goes, no, that isn't it. That must be why you're alive today, David. No, that's not it. must be all the Psalms, David. That must be it. It must be how Mephibosheth, how you show kindness to him. No, David goes, that's not it. David said, listen to me, you guys. That child that was born because of my sin, that child that died for my sin, he's the reason I'm alive today. From that day on, he knew day after day after day. The reason I'm alive today was because of that son. The reason I'm alive tomorrow is because of the son. The reason I'm alive two days ago is because he so loved me that God smote the son. Because God so loved the world that he gave us his son. That we don't have to perish. That even though we failed miserably. Even though we've fallen greatly. Even though, man, there's things in our life that, man, it seems like the repercussions are still here. David says, God says, I am going to send my son and I sent him for you. And I want you to really realize that now your life is not based anymore on any goodness of who you are or what you've done. But it's based on the goodness of Jesus Christ and what he did. Amen. This is what it's based on. Remember, remember Herod when he said, hey, the guy that I killed is alive again. That's how come he's doing all these great works. Nah, he's right and he's wrong. But it's really true because when he spoke of Jesus, the one that he killed, his sins, my sins, your sins, the one that we say, man, the guilt of sin. In Acts, it says that we took him with our wicked hands and we killed him. Our sins. But Peter went on to say in that three-minute message, just like Herod did, but he's alive again. It said when the child died, David rose up and he washed himself and worshiped. When we realize what the Son is and what He's done, we can rise up. You know why? Because the Son rose up. That our sin and my sin couldn't keep Him in the grave and it can't keep us in our grave. It doesn't have to keep us in guilt. 
It doesn't have to bring all these deep depression anymore. But we focus our lives on Jesus Christ, the Son, and who He is. And His tremendous grace and His tremendous love. Man, the people heard that message in Acts 2. And they said, okay, man, Peter, I give. What do I have to do? If this son died and rose again for me and took my place, what do I have to do? And he says, repent. Sometimes I used to cringe when I heard that word. Repent. Stop what you're doing. Stop. But it's so wonderful. Stop what you're doing. And if you repent, I promise you, I'll send you a promise. I'll send you the promise of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that what he said? I'll send you the promise of my righteousness and my peace and my joy. I promise to give you the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Spirit. I promise you that. I promise you that. That's why David could rise up and wash and worship. Arise, wash, and worship. I'll leave you with one story. A guy I know, a preacher I greatly appreciate. He had sons, several sons, and one of his sons was causing a lot of problems in the home. And that's putting it mildly. His son was rebelling. His son was taking drugs, drinking, sleeping around, doing all this stuff. He's a pastor. This guy's a pastor. And he went looking for his son constantly, you know, searching for his son. His heart was broke for his son. He said, in one day in the middle of the heated discussion, his son says, I just want to go. I just want to leave. I don't want to live here anymore. I want to go pursue this over here instead of this life here. And he said, okay, you're free. Go do it. You can drink as much as you want, and you don't have to worry. I'm not going to come looking for you. You can get as high as you want. No problem. I'm not going to be out looking for you anymore. You're free. You can do whatever you want. Go do it. I'm not going to come looking for you anymore. You're free to pursue whatever you think is going to make you happy. Only one condition. You find something or someone or somewhere that's greater than Jesus Christ. I was no different than you when I was a boy. You find somewhere, someplace, something that's better than serving Jesus Christ. You have to come back and tell me. The boy left. I don't know how long it was, but after a period of years, he came back. Maybe, maybe even six months, I'm not sure. There was a knock on the door. He looked out, and there was his son. He opened the door, and his son looked at him. And he said, listen. He said, Dad, listen. There's nothing better. Listen. There's nothing out here that's better than serving Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your great love and for your great grace. God, within my life and within my heart, I ask, Lord, that your word, Lord, would penetrate hearts and that God is people that are struggling with sin. Should I let go or I shouldn't? God, teach them, Lord, how much you care. God, put your arms around them. In Jesus' name, amen.